you are you are you might be saying to yourself, "Oh, please, not what, not again." Yes, again, First Thessalonians chapter four. Uh, we have looked at this passage for a while. You have it memorized, I think. At least you're getting there. If not, have it memorized. And we're going to say it together in just a moment. Um, I failed to say this. We do have a family visiting with us, the Rennings, and we're glad for them. I should have said it earlier. They got the whole family here, came for Sunday school and all, and we're thankful to have them today. So it's a blessing to see them in the services this morning. Should have said that earlier. Now, let's get back to 1 Thessalonians, all right? We'll say the reference of the verse that we sought to memorize last month. I know we're still in 1 Thessalonians 4 with memory verses, but uh, it's 1 Thessalonians 4.1. So if you'll say the reference and then join with me and let's say the verse together. 1 Thessalonians 4.1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. And that's what God wants for our lives. And I hope you will see uh, that verse and what God has for you from that verse in the truth we look at today. There was a financial advisor uh, from a number of years ago by the name of Larry Burkett. And he told the story of a pastor who did something very unusual on a Sunday morning. He took up the offering himself. And he didn't just take up the offering. He watched what everyone in the church put in. And not only did he do that, I know you're, you're offended by that. In some cases, the money was in an offering envelope. And so when the plate came back to him, he opened the envelope to see what was inside. Um, by the way, I don't have the guts to do anything like that. Well, as you can imagine, Burkett said, a murmur rose up in the congregation. Uh, this was a highly offensive act. In fact, many were absolutely furious. But he went on and acted as if nothing were wrong. Well, the service continued, and it was absolutely clear that the, these people were agitated. They were bothered that this, this went on. And, and there was like a, an air in the church about, man, I can't believe that the preacher did uh, anything like that. And he got up for the message, and he said this. Many of you were upset, visibly so, that I took up the offering today. Many seemed downright offended that I stopped and opened envelopes and looked inside at what was given. He then paused. He said this. Has it ever occurred to you that God looks at your offering? That God knows exactly what's inside every envelope. What does God think about your part in the offering? That's a good question to ask yourself this morning as you contemplate what walking and pleasing God is all about. Or better yet, carefully contemplate what more and more means uh, in walking and pleasing God in regard to giving. Let's pray. Father, please open our hearts, our minds, our eyes to your truth today. Help us to understand what the Bible has to say about the matter of giving. Help us to, to see that it's something you desire from us. 
And I pray that you would use the truth of your word to help your people see what, what God wants them to do. And I will thank you for how you'll use your word today for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just about every year during our missions month, you'll hear from the pulpit messages centering around three basic truths. You will hear a message, certainly will, or maybe it'll all be combined. It depends on how things go for the year. But you will hear a message, at least from me, on being a missionary. And we looked at that, by the way, a couple weeks ago, and we saw that walking and pleasing God, undoubtedly, part of that and part of the teaching the church at Thessalonica received about walking and pleasing God was about being a missionary. Uh, we looked at and we took time to look at the life of Jesus Christ. It's kind of been unique messages this year, what we've been doing with things. But we looked at the life of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we saw that Jesus taught about the matter of being involved in missions. We saw that Jesus uh, practiced it and that Jesus sent out his followers to be concerned about people and that missions. And being a missionary is indeed uh, something that walking and pleasing God is all about. And so that's one thing you'll hear. Second thing you will hear about, usually uh, once a year is about praying for missionaries. And last week we had opportunity to look at that subject and we learned from uh, the word of God that walking and pleasing God certainly involves prayer for missionaries. We listened to and we looked at the life of Paul this time, who was the writer of the book of Thessalonians. And we saw how Paul talked about often to every one of the churches the need for prayer. The need for prayer for him as one who was a missionary and sent one of God. That God would open doors of opportunity and we challenge you about this matter. The third thing you will often hear is about giving. My once a year message on giving. By the way, if you're, if you're a visitor here, we don't talk about money, hardly ever talk about money at all. And today, that's all we've been talking about. <laughs> but I want you to know, and I can say this assuredly, and I believe everyone in our church would, would heartily agree, we don't talk about money much here at Springdale Baptist Church. I don't beg before offerings. I don't do those kind of things because I don't believe at all. That's what a Christian should do. But I do know that God teaches us about the matter of giving in the Bible. And I want you to be an obedient Christian. And God has called me as a pastor to preach the whole counsel of God. That's what Paul said that he did. That's what Paul said that a pastor should do. And part of preaching the whole counsel of God is sometimes dealing with the matter of giving. So if you're here today and you're not like a regular here and you've maybe just come a few times or it's your first time, we don't always preach on giving, but today we're going to look at that subject because it's a subject that is part of walking and pleasing God. Giving is included in walking and pleasing God. He said, well, really, can we prove that's indeed what the church at Thessalonica was taught? Because if you look again at verse 1, he said, brethren, we exhort you by the Lord Jesus, as you have received of us, how you ought to walk and please God, so you would abound more and more. I want you to continue in what we've taught you. All right, so did Paul teach about the matter of giving? Does the Bible teach the matter of giving. Now, to determine if that is indeed part of walking and pleasing God, we really have to look at the rest of Scripture. We can't just look at the, the book of, of Thessalonians. We can't look at First and Second Thessalonians. There are a few things that might direct, direct us that way, but uh, it's actually not really found. There's not a lot talked about in the matter of giving in, that, in these books. 
But throughout the Bible, we do see a wonderful picture about and a teaching about the matter of giving that I hope will prove to you and help you come to the realization that the Bible does indeed teach the matter of giving and the important matter specifically of giving to missions. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. Again, a little different. I like to have a passage. We just preach through the passage. But today, I want to give you a picture of the whole Bible. And I'd like you to understand from the Word of God what the Bible has to say overall about giving. And then we'll come and hone in on a passage in the book of Corinthians that I believe will be of help to you when it comes to the matter of missions giving. So this morning, if you got your Bible, you're going to have to look at a few different passages with me. So let's begin by understanding, and we're going to kind of build a foundation. We're going to start with the basic truth, and it's this is that the Bible teaches and gives us principles of giving, or the fact of giving, if you want to put it that way. Principles of giving, or the fact of giving. Do you know that God established the importance of giving by making giving part of the Old Testament law? Now, if you're not aware of that, I want you to see it. Turn, if you would, back to the book of Leviticus. And actually, we we could look at a number of different places, But if you would look at uh, the book of Leviticus, and that would be the third book of the Bible, in chapter 27, it's one mention of a number that we find throughout the Old Testament law. If you were to look in the book of Deuteronomy, if you were to look in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 18, by the way, has some instruction about it. If you were to look at uh, pretty much most all of the law, you will find numerous references to the idea that God expects Christians to be Givers, or, or God expected the Israelites to be givers. He made that part of the law. In Leviticus 27, look, if you would, at verse 30, if you would. Leviticus 27 and verse 30. And he said, uh, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And if a, mil, a man will at all redeemed out of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of, even, even of whatsoever passes, passes, boy, I can't even get my words out this morning. Got to slow down a little bit, all right? Whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. He shall not search whether it be good or bad, neither shall he change it. And if he change it at all, then both it and the change thereof shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. And notice these words, these are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel in Mount Sinai. So this matter of giving a tenth, a tithe, that's the term that was used, it was taught in the Old Testament. Well, that tells us something about the matter of giving, that God expected it. Now, you might be saying, your first response might be, Pastor, we're not under the law. And you are absolutely positively right. When we preached on the book of Acts, long ago, two Sunday night services, we preached on the fact that we established the fact that a Christian is not under the law. Aren't you thankful for that? You know, I am so glad that we're not making sacrifices anymore. We have to bring a lamb to the church, and we've got an altar that we got to burn, and we've got to burn those things on. I am thankful that we don't have to go through that process because Jesus Christ was the one who was offered for us as the eternal sacrifice who took care of all that was necessary for people to be joined in the family of God by faith shed blood of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing they're going to be saved. And I'm thankful that we are not under those Old Testament laws and ceremonies. I'm thankful, quite honestly, we're not even under the Old Testament law. There's a lot of things that 
they had to do. And one of those was a manner of giving. So you say, well, pastor, we're not, we're not supposed to give then. And, and the tithe is not what we're supposed to give. Oh, people that love to argue about the matter of not needing to give will often point to that fact. But let me just bring out a point that the law does make. And it's this, that giving was important to God. If giving wasn't important to God, then he wouldn't have put it in the law. If it wasn't something he expected people to do, he would have made it a law for the children of Israel. Does that not make sense? I mean, this is one of those arguments of logic. We're not saying the Old Testament law says you're supposed to give, so you as a Christian are supposed to give, because we're not under the law. But I will say this. The fact that God said in the law, this is what I expect the Jews to give, gives us at least an inkling and a picture. Does it not this morning that God expects his people to give? And we can certainly argue that fact. Now, you say, again, we're not under the law. And so since we're not under the law, we don't need to give. Well, that's an interesting argument. Well, God established the importance of giving by making it part of the law. But believers show that they know the importance of giving apart from the law. They did. When you look at the Bible and when you look at the matter of giving, it's interesting to me that there are a lot of people who gave before the law was ever written. Do you know that? And if you don't know that, then let's take a little bit of time and look at, look at some principles, some people who gave. We learn about Jacob. Go back to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. And yes, we're going to go backwards. The pastor, you're supposed to go forward. Well, we're going to get there. But let's go back to Genesis chapter 28. You see, believers in the Bible, before the law was ever written, showed they knew the importance of giving, that this was something God expected from his children. Actually, I put it this way in my notes. Those who are blessed by God ought to give to God. And God established that when he wrote the law. But the truth of the matter is it was very clear to God's people and God's followers in the Old Testament well before the law that this was an important thing. And we can prove that from some examples. Jacob gave. Look in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 20. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give what? The tenth unto thee. Now I want you to think about this. Because those who say, tithing is in the law, and we're not under the law anymore. Does anyone know when Jacob lived? Did Jacob live before the law was ever written? The answer to that is yes. You want to know at least 300 years before the law ever was written down. Jacob made a promise to God he'd give a tenth. Where did he ever learn that? Where did he ever learn that? And where did he come up with the idea of a tenth? The law wasn't written. Look, Jacob wasn't saying, God has already given us a law, because God hadn't given any law. So where did he learn that? He knew inherently that those who had been blessed by God should give to God. This was something that was ingrained in, and it was just known by those who became.
became or were followers of Jesus Christ. And so Jacob makes this, this promise to God. He said, God, look, if you will do this and if you will work in this way, you, you, you will be my God, which thankfully he did end up making. And then he said, I will give a tenth unto thee. And he got the idea of giving to God because it was something that they knew those who knew God gave. Uh, where did the concept of a tithe come from? He instinctively knew those who are blessed by God ought to give to God. Heard a story about a candy manufacturer by the name of John Hyler, I think that's his name. He started out in business, and when he started out in business, he took what he called Jacob's Pledge. I thought that was interesting. But he based his, what he was going to do in giving on Genesis 28, 22, Of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. He went to a bank, he opened a special account, and he initialed the account MP. And into that fund, he regularly entered a proportionate amount of his income. And when anyone asked what the strange label meant, if they saw or they happened to see or they happened to know uh, what was going on, uh, they were told that it stood for, MP stood for my partner. His partnership uh, affected all his transactions is a partnership with God, and his business grew at a phenomenal rate. In, in accordance with his partner, each week the Lord's treasury received increasingly large sums of money. His gifts to worthy causes and private individuals actually amazed his business associates. They couldn't believe this guy would give so much. Contributions were always given with the request that the donor would not receive thanks or glory. He asked each recipient to just offer praise to God, for he said this, after all, the money isn't mine, it's the Lord's. So here's a guy who said, you know, if it was good for Jacob, it'd be good for me. So Jacob, 300 years before the law was ever written, knew that those who walk with God should give to God. Those who have been blessed by God should give to God. See, that's pretty impressive. But let's take a look back a little bit further. And you say, well, okay, so we're going to go back earlier in the book of Genesis. Well, actually, we are, but we aren't. There's a man by the name of Abraham. And, uh, and if you want to say, where did Jacob learn about the tithe? He possibly learned it from the story of his grandfather. Because Abraham went to battle against the kings who had conquered Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember when Lot was taken? And when the, the battle was done and when Abraham won the victory and God worked in a marvelous way, as he was coming back from the, the battle, he met, a, um, he met a priest by the name of Melchizedek. You say, who was Melchizedek? He met Jesus on the way. Now, you can argue, but when you look at scripture and talk about Melchizedek, he says, without firmly believe that he met a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. He was saying Melchizedek. Interesting story. But that's something to ponder and think about later on. If you want to argue that point, you know what? There's nothing to lose any sleep over. But you say, Pastor, where is it found in Genesis? Actually, it's not. The story is found in Hebrews chapter 7. So listen to, to me, and you don't need to look it up right now, but you can later. In Hebrews 7, 1 and 2, it says this, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham 
gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now, here's the question. Why did Abraham give tithes? Who taught him? This is probably, now I said Jacob with 300. Actually, it's probably more than 300 years where that took place. This is, you know, we're, we're talking now about years and years and years, 400 more than that, actually, far more than that, where Abraham knew that those who have been blessed of God should give to God. Who taught him? Where did he learn that concept? Not in the law. Hadn't been written hundreds of years before. So this matter of giving, this matter of giving is actually something that is founded way back. So does it go back further? I am so glad you asked that. It does. Go back now to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. Oh, come on, it can't go any further than Abraham. It had to start with Abraham. Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel. He must have been taught specifically by God. All right, so you can give your arguments. But in Genesis chapter 8, we have the story um, of Noah and the ark. Does anyone have any idea what the first thing Noah did Put his feet on dry ground after being in the ark. <laughs> Kissed the ground. Well, we don't know. We're not told that in Scripture. First thing we are told, though, is found in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 8. And Noah built an, an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and what? And he offered burnt offerings on the altar. Who taught Noah? That offerings should be made to God. Not the Old Testament law. Noah just knew that those who have been blessed by God should give to God. So, Pastor, it's got to stop there, right? I mean, Noah, way back, we're talking about here. No, it doesn't. Go back, if you would, to to Genesis chapter 4, I believe it is. Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve have already sinned against God. They've been cast out of the garden. And Adam and Eve have two children. Does anyone know what their names are? Cain and Abel. Very good. I knew you knew that one. So Cain and Abel are born. They they live their lives. And it says this, that... um, uh, verse 2, and she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground a, a what? An offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel in his offering, but unto Cain in his offering he had not respect. Now, we're not going to look at the story because the story is kind of a sideline. Actually, there's a a powerful message about the matter of giving and giving in the right way. But here's the idea. Cain and Abel, we're talking about about a few years ago, 
they do, that they should give something to God. May God bless them. See, well, God's people have always just known that it was our blessings from him, and that's all. God gave. And this principle is taught throughout the Bible. And we've only looked at the Old Testament. But we were just trying to establish this fact in the first point. Is that the fact that every every person who is blessed of God should give to God. And this was no, and this just this wasn't just a law that was given in the Bible. This is something that has was practiced by people far before the law was ever written, because it just is inherently known. It, it wasn't inherently known, it had to be taught by whom? The one who put it in the law. It had to be taught by God to someone, whether it was Adam and Eve, so that they taught Cain and Abel that this is what you're supposed to do, or whether God specifically taught Cain and Abel, whether God directed Noah specifically, but we know that things were just passed on from generation to generation, so they would have all known this is what God expects. So let me tell you something. When someone comes up and says, Christians don't need to give and they don't need to tithe because... Because the tithe is Old Testament law. They don't understand the Bible. The Bible teaches that those who have been blessed by God should give to God. And David actually gives us the reason why. So would you turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29? I told you I'd give you some exercise in your Bible today. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. There's a reason why Christians should give, and they should be involved in this matter of giving. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, David put it very uh, in, in a really a clear manner for us. David, in verse 1, said unto the congregation, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is yet young and tender. The work is great. And he's talking about building the temple to worship God. God had directed David, and David was actually going to build the temple himself, but God said, you're not going to do it. It's going to be your son who's going to build the temple. And so this is the time when this is taking place. And David stands before the children of Israel, and he says, look, my son has been given this task. The task is great. He's going to need your help, ultimately. But you know what David also says? He begins right there, and he says in verse 2, Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of God, of my God, the gold for things that be made of gold, and the silver for things of silver, and the brass for things of brass, iron for things of iron, wood, onyx stones. You see all these things, uh, divers, uh, stones of diverse colors, all manner of precious stones, marble stones in abundance. He had been gathering these things, and he made them as an offering to God. By the way, apart from the tithe and everything else. And David had been giving and giving and giving and preparing all these things because he understood that those who are blessed by God all give to God. And it's interesting, but after he goes through these things, he says, verse 3, Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have my, of my own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, even 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses with all. The gold, again, for things of gold and everything else. And then if you look at the end of verse 5, it says, Who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? And you know what happened? In verse 6, God's people said, Wow, if David did it, I can do it. 
and they as well gave. And the Lord just provided it in a wonderful way. But David revealed the ultimate reason for giving in this passage. And the secret was found in verse 14. Because after the people gave, he just... He was praising the Lord for the fact that they gave. He was thankful that he had the opportunity to give to God. And here's what he said. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? This is an amazing thing God's done through us and, and with us to enable us and give us all these things. But notice what he says at the end of the verse. Say, say it with me right after that question mark. That sort, you see the word sort in the question mark? Read the words after that with me. For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. And just let that sink in. All things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. What did David understand about giving? That when, when giving is done, we never give anything that is ours. said, everything I have is God's. Everything. So those who have been blessed with God should give to God. And if you want a good reason for it, it's because it's not ours. It's because God has entrusted us with it. Um, let, let's picture it this way. Let, let's say that Brother Deals has a million dollars He's going to give it to the Schwanky Vacation Fund. I know, right after the service this morning. But let's say Brother Deals has a million dollars that he wants to give. And can we give it to Brother Mark, who's ministering in, in Delaware? Dad ministering in Delaware says, hey, look, um, look, Keith, um, here's what I'd like to do. Every year, um, just for really a number of years, probably as long as God has you on the field, I'm going to go out, I'm going to give you $10,000. Just in the blessing of my family. Brother Morris wouldn't turn that down, would he? <laughs> so Brother Morris would like just to go, wow, that is just wonderful. I'm going to give you $10,000 every year that um, that you can just use as you see fit in the mission field and to help in the ministry that God's given you there. Now, we would all think, wow, that's a wonderful thing. But let's also say and say, okay, uh, Brother Morris, but here's one thing I ask. We're, we have a, a friend who's a missionary in Ecuador as well, doing good work for God. And what I want to what I want to ask you to do is, out of that ten thousand dollars, if you would take one thousand of it every year after you get the offering in January or whenever we decide we're going to send money every year, when you get it, I want you to take a thousand dollars of it, and I want you to give it to this missionary in Ecuador who's also doing good work and needs some help. And we gave him the address for his ministry. Now let me ask you something, Brother Morris. This is a simple a simple question. Did you have any problem with that? No. And the reason why is because the $10,000 was a gift that you have been given. And to ask that 10% of it, $1,000, go to someone else is like a reasonable thing. Right? Come on. Would, would anyone have a real issue with that? You say, well, he should just give it himself. Why? If that's what brother deals would like to have done this would be an opportunity then for brother morris to maybe have an impact and, and be a blessing to that missionary as well himself okay so so imagine this after after four or five years brother morris is, is thinking man my expenses are really going up and things are getting a little bit tough 
paper, you know, ten thousand dollars is a blessing. Uh, you know, it's only nine really, and I have to get a thousand more. So it comes to double deals. In twenty twenty He says, he says, Brother Beals, um, I, I know you said you had a million really dollars. And, you know, 10000 is really a whole lot of money for anybody five years anyway. Um, look, w- would you have any problem if you just start sending a 1000 to that missionary and, and I'll just keep the 10000 because we really have some need for the ministry? Now, how many of you would be offended if you did that? Nobody would be offended if you did that? Would Brother Deals be offended? question. By the way, I think rightfully so. I believe that Brother Deals would have, have the right to say, what are you going to do with that money? Okay, But, but think, think this through. Right? But no one said they'd be offended. I would be. And here's the reason. Because the 10000 is a gift. You didn't deserve it. It's not his, if you would, until it's been given. And all that's been asked her is that only 10% of it be given to another missionary. he gets to keep. And he's complaining about the fact that he's got to give that $1,000 because he could use it. Look, doesn't that sound ridiculous when you put it that way? Seriously. Sounds utterly ridiculous. And yet, that is what many people do with God when when someone suggests that they should give 10% of what God has already I got a lot of expenses. Things are really tight. I can't afford. And, and God says, I've given you a little greater than you're going to get. I've given you 100000 this year. And you have a problem giving me ten back? Really? When you think about it that way, it brings giving into a whole other perspective. Because it's the hundred thousand or whatever you make in a year that God has given you. And you have a hard time giving them back? Spiritually? David can. Everything I have God's. And that illustration, using picking on Brother Deals here a little bit, um, but that illustration is, I think, just a, a very simple picture of, of how we can become so centered in ourselves and think, well, I need this and I got to get this and I got these expenses and I got all these things going on. And God says, I have given you everything. And those who have been blessed by me, God would say, should give back to me. And I'm asking you to do that. So why do you have an issue with it? And why are you why are you all bent out of shape that that Someone gets up on a Sunday morning and preaches on giving. Because our human nature just wants to hold on to what what we think is ours when God says, and David pictured this for us, it's not ours, it's his. And he gave it to us. And he has the right, just like Brother Diaz would have every right to say, you need to give a thousand dollars to that missionary, and don't stop, or I'll just take away the ten thousand. And by the way, if you thought he'd be doing that, he's not. He's the giver. 
And he has the right to say, Brother Morris, if you're not happy with it, I'll just take the 10000 and I'll give it all to that missionary. And then Brother Morris would change his attitude. <laughs> all of a sudden, I am happy to give that $1,000 to that missionary. And you know, if we all looked at it that way, <laughs> you know, God, you gave me this job. I've, I've made this much money this year. I mean, I'm even telling the federal government this is what I made. And all you're asking of me is, to, is, is for 10%. That's really not much. Does that make sense to everyone? Yeah. The, the, the foundation. So you say, well, Pastor, what does that have to do with walking and pleasing God? There's nothing said about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Well, look, if, if in the entire Bible we see this truth, everything we have is God's, and that all the way throughout the Bible, we have been all the way back to Cain and Abel, people who have been blessed of God, understand the need to give to God. If we understand all of that, then we should come to 1 Thessalonians 4 and say, one of the things this church was taught was about the matter of giving. They had to be taught. Because this is something God expects. And this is something that, that every Christian needs to know. Everything you have is God's. And you say, well, pastor... All you have done is looked at the Old Testament, and you are correct. That's all we've done in our first point. We've only looked at the Old Testament. The New Testament teaches over and over the matter of giving and brings out the idea that giving is right. Jesus himself even talked about that in criticizing some people who gave alms. This is interesting. Jesus was talking about how the Pharisees tithe of mint and, and cumin and all sorts of other things that they do. And Jesus was criticizing them. And you say, well, Christ was criticizing their giving. No, he wasn't criticizing their giving. He said this. He said, you know what? You should have done that. That's a good thing to do. <clears throat> but you need to do it in the right heart. See, Jesus Christ was in support of the matter of giving. Do you know when Jesus sent Judas out? No one knew what Judas was being sent to, to do when they were in the upper room. Do you know the reason why? Because the men supposed that he was being sent out to give money to the poor or to do something. Because Jesus was obviously involved in giving. Isn't that interesting? So look, we have so many examples in the Bible that teach us and give us this overall view. Now you say the practice of missions giving, the act of giving now, this has nothing, those things have nothing to do with missions, Pastor. And I hear what you're saying, and I agree that nothing we've shared thus far deals specifically with giving for that. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I said we'd look around, so 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I've got a lot of ground to cover. But let me just take a few moments and look at this passage with you very quickly. And help you to understand that missions wouldn't have been talked about in the Old Testament. It wouldn't even been talked about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John necessarily. Because, although those who were preaching the gospel should be provided for by those who go out and minister. That's what the 70, when they were sent out, were supposed to be provided for by those who they would stay with. Okay? So th that truth was brought up. But in, in the Gospels and in the Old Testament, you wouldn't hear about missions giving because the command to missions wasn't given until Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go ye into all the world, 
preach the gospel to every creature. It wasn't until after the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the command to go and the matter of missions and the need for missions was made prevalent. And it wasn't seen until the book of Acts when the church started to go with the gospel message. So the practice of missions given wouldn't have been talked about in the Old Testament, wouldn't have been talked about even in the gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, although we can look at Jesus Christ and learn about giving. But in the New Testament and the rest of the New Testament, we see a number of references about the matter of giving, to spread the gospel. The church at Corinth was going to be encouraged, exhorted to be involved in giving to meet the needs of others. Now, we can't say it was specifically for missions because it didn't go to a missionary because Paul was actually going to take it and he was going to give it uh, to, to those who had need. But the idea was they were to give to meet the needs of those in Jerusalem. Now, look, what greater need do people have? And to hear the story about Jesus Christ dying on the cross for their sins, being buried, and rose again on the third day, and that they can be saved by faith alone, faith alone. There's no greater need than that. So I'll tell you something. There's no greater cause to give to than the cause of missions. Because it's all about reaching people with and helping God fulfill the command he gave to his people to spread the gospel. In first, Second Corinthians chapter 8, there was a wonderful illustration given uh, to the church at Corinth by the believers in Macedonia. <clears throat> and Thessalonica would have been probably part of the, the, the churches that were involved in this. He said, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record. Yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave of their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Now, he uses them as an illustration to teach about the matter of giving. Verse 6 but this I, of chapter 9. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. He's going to talk to the church about giving. And he says, I want you to know about the churches of Macedonia. So look at them and let's think about this. Giving, was ba uh, giving based on the supply, not of money, but of God's grace. If you look at verses 1 and 2, it's interesting, but I read verse 2 and I say, why did these people give? Look at verse 2. I mean, they were in great trial of affliction. And they were in deep poverty. Do you see those words? Those are words that say to me, what are they doing being involved in giving? Giving was based on supply. You say, wait a second, they didn't have a slop high. All they had was problems in their life. When I read verse 2, my first response is, why would this church want to give to a missionary to meet the needs of someone else? Most everything in this verse says giving is unexpected and absurd. Two very good reasons why it was unexpected. They were pressured, anguished, burdened, persecuted, troubled. Those words are all used to define the word affliction in this text. And their problems were large, much or many. It was a test that was huge. 
pastors of the churches in these locations weren't coming to Christians who just had harvested a bumper crop in the field and enjoyed a great bounty. They weren't sitting in their air-conditioned houses or going to have a latte at, at, um, at uh, Starbucks. They weren't people that were making 100, pulling in 100 Gs a year and just being able to enjoy themselves and live high on the hog. These were people, well, they would they probably wouldn't have had many. Well, maybe they would have had hogs. They weren't Jews, all right? But they were, you know, th these were people that were in great affliction. And not only that, but they didn't even have money to give. Do, do you see that? Does everyone understand that? Okay, so then what was the supply? Well, if you look at verse 1, here's the reason why. Moreover, brethren, we do you to the wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of, of Macedonia. They had known God's grace in a wonderful way. Their deep poverty, they were in profound poverty. And yet, they gave because God had graced them. You see, everyone that's been blessed of God should give to God. Can you say that with me? Everyone that's been blessed of God should give to God. Makes sense. But it's taught in Scripture, and it's found in the example here. Giving is not only uh, was not expected, but giving is explained. How can we explain the giving of these people to missions? If you can think of the least likely person in our church who has money to give, and they give more than anyone else, then you'd understand the scenario here. <laughs> How can we explain this giving? Two things which explain it. They were experiencing God's grace. As they faced this trial and lived for God, the Lord poured out his grace. He poured out his grace so abundantly to these people. They were so overwhelmed by the goodness of God in their trial that they couldn't help but say, what else can we do for God? He's been so good. That's beautiful, isn't it? They were experiencing God's amazing grace, the supernatural enabling of God to empower them to do something they could never do on their own, and that was make it through this great trial. Talked about, Paul talked about that grace. The second reason for this giving, look at verse 2, how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their, I can't believe that word is there, joy. The abundance of their joy, cheerfulness, gladness. And I marvel at those words, cheerful, glad. This is related back to grace, by the way. How is it possible to be that way in conditions like this? No money, big troubles. Just as they walked with God, God so worked in their heart that they just said, we want to be givers. We just think this is what God wants us to do. You know what missions are all about? What we're asking you to do in return. And what every Christian should do all the time, by the way, is just say, God, you blessed me. And I'm grateful that you poured out your grace upon me. What do you want me to do? I don't really have time to give, but I want to get into the rest of these verses. It's a beautiful picture in the first five verses about lessons for giving by church had no reason to give except for the fact that they had been blessed by God. And those who had been blessed by God thought we had how to give. That, that's, the, that's a lesson of Scripture. So the question is, really, 
if you're a Christian here, if you know the Lord as your Savior, you're going to serve him to the best of God. The question is, do you do it? And the question is, are you following God's leadership in giving? Here's the truth. If you don't want to give, if you're going to hear this from Baptist Church or anywhere else, probably, don't. say this, to be also very honest, you don't have a good relationship with God. Because those who have been blessed by God are happy to give to God. The church 